0: Welcome to episode 138 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast made up with opinions of four of the greatest minds ever discussing our passion for Linux. I'm Michael, and with me today are the Power Rangers of Linux, Noah, Ryan, the birthday boy, and Zeb. Yeah. So, Zeb, what's new with you this week?
1: Um, it's a bit of a much of the, of the same old, same old. I, would, I did a Gen 2 stream yesterday, um, part four gaming. And we were meant to be installing things like CPU power, uh, DXVK, eSync, and Lutris. Um, Only it didn't quite go as well as we had hoped. Um, And and it just goes to prove that whilst Gen 2 can be used as a daily driver, unless you really are a guru, there are so many more hurdles to overcome um, than, say, doing it on Arch or um, Ubuntu. It's just not straightforward. But what was really pleasing and what did shine through was the Linux community once again. So we finished the stream and we hadn't got anything set up properly and it wasn't really success. And then I get uh, an email from what I can only assume is one of the um, Gen2 dev team, because I checked him out and his name appears on their uh, Gen2 website as working on the Gen kernel and a couple of other products. And he went, I'm glad I saw your stream because it reminded me of my to-do list. And I immediately thought of, is this the same sort of to-do list that Michael's got? Because we're in trouble. <laughs> and he went, so I need, I need to actually patch Lutris because it's broken on Gentoo. So he sent me an email through to, to, to try this patch. So I immediately forwarded it to Serge, who's the, the guru. I'm just a monkey with a keyboard. Um, And he went, well, wait a minute. Cause I, yeah, I think it might be coming into the uh, portage tree. And I got another email this morning saying it's there. We have fixed it. Please try it. And let us know on your next stream, whether or not it fixed it. So, whether you're Arch or Gentoo or Slackware or you know Peppermint, the community just keeps shining through and through and through. So we'll have to see how it goes um, next time round.
2: That's very awesome to hear. I love that when you see those distros out there where the developers are paying attention to what's happening in the community
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then engaging themselves to resolve the issue versus just ignoring it or sending an email, well, you clearly don't know what you're doing or something that may have happened in the past uh, yeah. in the Linux world. But when you see developers... read man page. Yeah, read the man page and figure it out. <laughs> when you see people engaging like that, you could tell it's truly a work of passion for them and there they go in and, and fix it and take a frustrating moment. It's funny cuz I saw your streams of after it was done and I was mm-hmm. skipping through it to see when the gaming starts cuz it said installing gentoo and gaming and I'm like, "Okay, where's the gaming? I want to see the gaming on Gentoo." But I didn't see any gaming. So I figured something had gone wrong during yeah. that that stream.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of it was to do with 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 the lutris problem. Lutris was there. I download a game, fire it up, And then there'd be some obscure SRAST problem. Um, And as I think the guy's name, I can't remember his whole name, but he's Henk, uh, another guy from Belgium, I believe. Apologies if you're not. Um, He was saying that, well, SRAST means it's using the software side of it, but I've got an NVIDIA card. So why wasn't it using the NVIDIA? So there's something I think wrong with the i386 drivers in this particular install that it's not picking them up to play Lutris, but we'll we'll see what happens when we get this patch in.
0: Very nice. It was actually pretty cool with the, the proactive nature of the of the Gen2 developers as well, because mm. like the, the like the things that we always say sometimes doesn't happen. You know, report a bug. Technically, a stream is not a reporting a bug, but if they're watching the stream, that is a very convenient rep- way of reporting a bug. Yeah, you get to see it. Right, yeah. get to see the video of it. That's it awesome. So, uh, Ryan, how's, you, how's your week been?
2: My week has been awesome until this random person called me uh, to work on a machine. But before we get into that, because we'll get to you there. Wow, to find I don't know what you're it. talking about. I have been taking some cybersecurity classes related to Security Plus certifications and things like that. But I was mainly trying out a different platform because I've played with Linux Academy. But I've also heard people talk about a training resource called lynda.com, which is associated now with LinkedIn. Yes. which I think is associated with Microsoft at some point. It's like a whole daisy chain. Uh, Microsoft owns LinkedIn. So, But in any case, I wanted to try it out because one of the things that I was looking for was kind of a training platform that would spread across the entire spectrum of different software resources, operating systems, the whole gamut just to for various things, whatever, whatever you're wanting to learn. And it's interesting. I don't think Linda... Um, has everything perfect, but they definitely have a much bigger mixture of training out there, courses available. The Security Plus stuff is just of particular interest to me. And of course, we have the North uh, Georgia Coffee and Linux coming next weekend. So on Saturday, if you're in the North Georgia area, show up where we'll have Bo there. And we've done pen testing and things there with him live. We've also... Um, shown the ability to take over people's networks or spoof Wi Fi networks. He did at the last event live within about five to 10 minutes. He had spoofed networks there. So people's connections dropped and jumped onto spoofed Wi Fi. Of course, we got the owner's permission to test with just our machines, but just showing how easy it is to spoof people, how easy it is to overcome this. So I was hoping to gain some valuable insight in the security realm by taking it, not necessarily interested in the certification part, but just for my knowledge. And they have a really, really good trainer for the Security Plus stuff. So if you're interested in cybersecurity for any reason, check out the courses over there on on lynda.com or the LinkedIn training now, but formerly lynda.com, because I think the trainer there specifically, at least for that
0: course, is top notch.
1: So what was this computer problem you had, or is that for later on in the show? Uh
0: we'll get we'll get to that. And, but first we have to get to Noah's uh what he's been getting himself <laughs> into because I want to learn I want to know more about his experience his journey with the yolo the uh, yala yolo. What? Did you I What? His his, yola? his all right well let, his, me tell, you the, let me tell you about
4: the jalapeño phone here that uh, that runs salient OS fishy.
0: Uh <laughs> Mitchell, <laughs> <But> anyway,
4: <laughs> no, I, it's, it's been going great, really. I, so I got a new case. Um, I, the, the little flip case originally when I bought it, I thought what I really want is a, is a case that I can treat it like a little computer, you know, unfold it, unpack it, use it as, as an actual computer. What I found is I just pulled it out so much that I was getting to the point where I literally wasn't using my Android phone. And so I went and purchased a, this case, which I really like, it has a little uh, kickstand on it that comes out. And so, you know, the phone can set up. I like that. I like that it does a cutout for the fingerprint reader, which I'm not currently using. Um, but yeah, still have Sailfish and it's, it's becoming more and more of a daily driver. The, uh, so yeah, that's been going great. But one of the cooler things that I've done this week, do you guys remember when I told you about my bell system for my house?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh
0: yeah.
4: If for anybody that doesn't remember the short recap is this, my, my kid's school system has a bell system and it's not like a traditional, like bell. Uh, it, it, it's actually just a tone that, that, goes off at given times to let the kids know it's time for lunch it's time to go to school it's time to be done with school whatever and i thought that's an interesting idea and so i implemented something similar in our house just with the raspberry Pi. um and i would at that moment it was just playing a a a a tone that was the similar frequency of their school bell to let them know that it's time to be done with breakfast and time to leave the house well turned out that worked like way better than I thought it would. And I started to think to myself, self, I wonder if it works for the kids, if it would work for me, because one of the things that I have trouble doing is anybody that's been around me for more than 10 minutes has figured out, I'm terrible at scheduling, like I'm terrible at planning time. And, budgeting. (laughs) and uh, and so what I did was I I got a less obnoxious tone, a nice little notification. And I'm actually using a second Volumio device, because Volumio supports an API sense. So you can use cron, to send curl commands to the Volumio to play various files at various times. And so I have a file that plays my – that turns on my the radio station or starts the radio stream when I wake up in the morning. And then at a, at a specific time, it turns on the music I like to listen to when I go into the shower, so I know it's time to go into the shower. And then shortly after that, it turns that off and goes on to a different uh, – playlist that i have set up that where i'm getting ready for the morning and making the kids breakfast and doing all that kind of stuff and then finally something that tells me i have to get my butt out the door to get to my first client on time and of course that last one because it's linux because it's just a cron job because it's just a script means i can tie that into our ticket system so if one morning we have a ticket that is isn't until 11 a.m i won't get that notification until 10 30 and i hear it everywhere i am in the house in the shower out of the shower in my bed wherever i know hey I've got a client engagement. I have to get out the door in the next fifteen minutes because I have to go somewhere. It's been working great up until I went to Las Vegas and didn't have access to it. Now I've totally lost track of time and time. <laughs> and yeah. But it's it's really cool. Like and the fact and this is what I mean. Like I I really want people to focus more on buying and using technology with things that you can build rather than buying technology that you can use. Right. Anybody can walk into Best Buy and buy the newest whatever right it takes a real geek it takes real intelligence to go buy a raspberry pi motherboard and buy an sd card and buy a power supply and buy a case and buy an r receiver and buy a usb audio interface and download a software like volumeo and configure it and then figure out the api and set up a second box that runs cron to do that and then tie cron into whatever other things that you want to be able to automate like those kind, like building something that is cool and that is powerful and that teaches you about technology as well as making your life better allowing you to improve on technology and the great thing is it's not it's not using if then there, if that it's not using some web service it's just using local machines that i set up right so nothing can take it offline
2: that's what i love about that and i love that point that you made there because you you don't have to start out at that level maybe people will sit hearing cron right. job and all this stuff and they're like i don't yeah. know what that means that's fine just yeah. go get the raspberry pi and start playing do with something it. with yeah. it do yeah. something do with so, it and there are so books in the bookstore, there are books on yeah. Amazon that are just like okay. random Raspberry Pi projects. Start doing them. They're step-by-step. Mm-hmm. There are websites, YouTube tutorials, all this stuff to do it. And then build your skill up to where you can get to that point where you're
4: like, now I have a problem and I'm going to solve it. In your case, you scheduling. But go ahead. To, to be clear, and I don't want to insult anybody, but when we say you can build up to using things like cron to send an API curl command to uh, Raspberry that should be like in the first... Four hours. <laughs> you should progress to the point where you can learn how to use cron. Because well, literally Google cron generator and take whatever that spits out and paste it into a text file and now you've created a cron
1: job. Well, this is my little bell because it sits mm. on my desk and I keep seeing it every morning going, Are you ever gonna do anything with that?
4: <laughs> <laughs> nice. You keep talking to it. Do something, become no. something. No, um, but you I mean you tried it and you saw what it was you saw you had the found the overheating problem and like you've learned about technology because you've played with it. People don't do that.
1: And, and I bought myself a nice little case. Yeah, oh, that I still haven't that. put together yet. Nice. It, it looks really complicated. I mean, how is a Raspberry Pi meant to fit in that?
0: You'll what? get that. You'll get there. <laughs> that actually reminds me. It's kind of like it's kind of like the uh, that his case with all the different pieces for a Raspberry Pi reminds me of your P5 with the the desktop thing. Oh you yeah, put. the desktop. Yeah. It
2: actually reminds me. I brought um, this. LCD Raspberry Pi kit to my North Georgia and coffee event and I was like hey it'll be a fun event we can build it and Bo's son and uh, my son and his son sat there and built the whole thing up but as I was watching them build it I thought this is genius because I don't want to have to have done this because there were so <laughs> <many parts. laughs> but anyways the point is yes it, they, some of those kits can be a little daunting but they're a lot of fun but Linux, or Linux uh, Noah I am requesting that you instead of having the bell sounds, you allow okay. me and Michael, to and Zeb to record sound bites for the various things going on. Like it's time to eat
4: breakfast, dummy,
2: and things like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like,
2: hey Noah, you got a so
4: client me,
0: here, that's, that's waiting I tell for you, what, you.
4: Here's here's the thing: I I refuse to take something that has been probably the most significant advance and improvement uh-huh. in my life in ten years, and and let it get turned into a joke. However. However, I am not above trolling my family. So, what we could do? So, what we could do? You guys do that. You record each one of those clips. I will put it in, and I'll plant hidden cameras around the house as they go <laughs> off and capture my kids and my wife's reaction as these various things. And I'm going to hold a straight face, like it's no big deal. Like that's what we're using now. That's, that's just right. Like, and the more, the more obnoxious and the more irritating, like so. So that so they're looking. They're like you've got because they already think i'm nuts right like, like you, i mean you, you can imagine the conversation when i sat down with my wife and i'm like so i want to expand the bell system and she's like she, here's what she said she's like i feel like sometimes in our marriage like like you just create these systems that you think are super important and then i am left juggling them like like the tv <laughs> went from i just picked a channel and i could choose what i wanted to watch to now i have to turn on the shield and 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 open up cody and then connect to the server and then browse the media share she's like it's just a lot more steps and she's like so you know with this bell thing like how do we control it i'm like well there's no ui at the moment right now you just have to ssh into the box if you want to change (laughs) i'm working on
3: that it's gonna
4: come together like oh boy so she's tolerating it right now because they're pretty gentle tones like it's 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 a very very subtle thing right but like i am not opposed to like michael being like ah we're late we gotta we gotta hurry up
0: no, Michael, you gotta. You'll do it'd your be, voice like. Yeah. Hey guys. It'd be more like, it'd be more like. <laughs> hey, Nora, you, You're late for your account, Nora. You're late. Get on it. <laughs> Get on it.
1: <laughs> you let us know what we got to record, and we'll send you Kay. the the snitch. All right. I, I
4: gotta I gotta wake up. I'm gonna wake up to 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 Zeb saying "tickety boo."
0: Tickety
4: boo. Time to start the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> So Michael, <laughs> what have you been up to?
0: Uh actually quite a lot this week. I've actually I got some new hardware. Uh thank if you see it in the screenshot or the thumbnail of this week, I have I showed up the Ryzen 7 2700X. Yeah. And this is uh, and also I got a new motherboard for that as well. Uh, thanks to BC from my local Linux user group. He gifted the um the hardware to me for the production Only of the show man. and stuff. I, Only- I don't know. I, I don't know. It's it's uh, it's amazing. And he mentioned it one time. He was upgrading, and he was like, "Hey, you, you, would you like to the old parts? they were going to be put in the storage or something. Otherwise." And I was like, "Wait, what do you mean? You mean have it? You know?" It's like, "Yeah, if you just wanted, it, I can give it to you. Do you like, want
4: me to give you, you know, money?" Yeah, it's like <laughs> you want to give
0: me an amazing hardware gift. Like, yes, I will take that. That's amazing. This guy
2: is literally the Santa Claus of IT. Like, <laughs> get AMD Ryzen twenty seven hundred yeah. X an X four seventy. MSI Pro Carbon Gaming Motherboard and DDR4 RAM.
0: Yep, like yep, it's it's Santa amazing,
2: Claus, amazing.
0: Yeah, it's amazing, and it also, but because because it was so much different hardware, it required me to rebuild my system. So I had to install a new distro, which I chose to be different this time and use Arch. So, uh, yeah! <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> so, so I installed. Oh, you I installed Arch and uh it didn't take that long to install Arch because I used ArchFi which is a really nice in curses installer. Uh it's still you still need to know how if if you've never installed Arch before, you'll still need to know how to install it in order to use ArchFi or because
1: have a friend's a phone.
0: Well, yeah, that didn't happen. Anyway, I, I used I I didn't call Ryan to help install Arch. That's ridiculous. I called him to help me install the hardware because that's where I'm incompetent. <laughs> so,
4: just to be clear. The thing that has a ton of documentation that everybody, to include Windows users, do that? no, no,
0: no. no, no, no. I got to show you something. If you're going to bring up documentation, I have to show you the okay. thing. The all most right? annoying thing about setting up this hardware is that okay. there was this this Great G- documentation. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I got this uh, this this booklet <laughs> that gives you a listing of like all the things you have to do. In I have to find it, but all the things you need to do of installing the uh, like the this the cooler and the all the stuff. It tells you to turn the the the, the thing like clockwise, um, no counterclockwise in order to in order to do this uh, to Locked to lock down. in the lock down the heatsink. You turn it the other way. That's so the documentation is the so helpful.
4: Backwards?
1: You're meant to be reading it upside down when you're installing the heatsink. Right, your head's over the motherboard.
0: Oh, of course. I see. It's I just it's that. just the documentation is not way. always the best. Is all I'm saying some and i yeah. figured that out because i've some something fairness, on youtube
2: uh, if you can uh, do the whole computer build with just documentation i would be severely impressed
0: yeah i mean I also mean, it's there's I a lot mean, I of ridiculous stuff
4: documentation when i build the machines I, for better or for worse i just i'm like well that piece fits here let's put that
0: well <laughs> this 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 will go <laughs> yeah, here
4: right i'm just being honest
0: I didn't want to risk just putting things random places, so I just asked Ryan where they go, and that's all. Like, Well, in 20 I'm-
2: years, Noah, to call, to call shenanigans on your claim there, in 20 years of building machines, there is not a single person I know that automatically off the top of their head knows where the jumper cables go for the power switches without actually that's reading. That's
4: right. Them. Which is why I buy Asus motherboards, because they label it on the board. <laughs> okay, <laughs> they, yeah. do, they, put, they put a little PWR, and then they've got a little line, and then RST, and they point a little line, and, and yep. then they've got like a little red. Th- it's great. It's so great. And, and so the other thing that Asus has started doing in recent years, which is even better, is they label it on a little like header thing. And so you, you connect all the, all the little individual wires. That's true. The, I've seen that. And the header yeah. thing just plugs straight in. Like It's so amazing awesome
0: that's cool i didn't do that but i did look at the documentation a little by but- looking at
4: the documentation it's uh let's see here what uh what do we have to do here? here is uh pictures and more text yeah hey ryan <laughs> <laughs> hey, i got a computer for- no of course i didn't pay for it yeah no i'm gonna need some help putting it together well i started to and i i created the scenes but I created 170 of them, yeah, but still don't exactly know how it goes together, so maybe you can help me. Oh, okay, great, yeah. Yeah, we'll start in 15 minutes, yeah. Well, I know it's been an hour and a half, but we'll start another 15 minutes, and then we'll put that computer together. Okay, I would great. be, okay. Seven hours,
0: this, this, what'd you say? This performance <laughs> you just made, this performance that you have just uh, in, imagined in your own head, great. is should be offensive to me, but it's kind of accurate in some ways. So LAUGHTER <laughs> So I'm just going to let it go.
3: <laughs>
2: but it was awesome. You have an amazing computer, she, honestly. And tell them about the render time differences between the two machines. Well,
0: they actually, I tested it. And, and one of, before we get into that, I actually want to talk about the fact that uh, some, my my the older holder hardware I had would be like somewhere between 50% to 60% g- CPU usage in order to do the show while we're recording. Now currently at uh, 6.8%. So that's fantastic. Uh, but also the render time has gone down ridiculous. So like the render for the last week's episode was around an hour and a half to two hours. I don't remember exactly when or how much it was, but uh, this particular uh, setup now, I tested the same configuration, the same Caden live render, and it was 25 minutes. So that is awesome. That allows me to do so many things. That it makes it easier for to do more rendering, so faster rendering. It, I can do more editing stuff. That and it will still f- render faster. I can make more videos for the YouTube channel. I can do all kinds of stuff like this. And at some point, I will begin to do that.
2: Well, really, thank you to the community who donated yes. that hardware. It is That's amazing.
0: Awesome. So thanks, BC, for it. It's it's amazing. And, and I've and already you know- sent him some like some benchmarks and stuff. It's like this is awesome.
4: Yeah. We we joke but the truth is like we're super appreciative because it, it may have been a quote unquote gift to Michael but the reality is it makes the show better. It makes our ability to try different things and 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 do different things better. It also reinforces the idea that you can have modern great hardware that you can get up and running with no real extra effort with Linux.
0: So before we get started with the rest of the show I wanted to do something that I think that we're all going to be super excited about, and that is to let you know about the big announcement that we're, that we're going to be doing next episode. Uh, So it's no mystery that Destination Linux has continued to grow as a podcast, but also as a community, and it's it's grown in ways that we've never dreamed of happening. And with this growing community and reach of the podcast, it's important that we build upon the momentum and provide new ways for experiencing Destination Linux content and explore ways that we can give back to the community as well. So we wanted to let everyone know that there's some amazing things coming for Destination Linux that will be officially announced on September 15th.
1: So, and what we're going to do is, this is going to be a very special episode, so we're going to be streaming it live on YouTube. Now, our patrons still get to come and join us in Zoom, as always, but everyone else gets to see the show this week with all our blunders live. So what's really important is that you clear your calendars, okay? You speak to your family and you let them know, Sunday, September the 15th. I have an 8 A hour commitment because I'm watching DL live. Don't bother me.
2: There you go, an 8 hour commitment. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is going to be good though. This is going to be fantastic. It's going to be worth it. Yeah, and we can't wait to share it with you. And It involves everybody here, so it's going to yeah. be
0: awesome. And also, to be clear, it's going to be September fifteenth on uh, one p.m. Eastern time. So be sure to be there live if you want to get. If you don't want to wait to get the ne- announcement, we're going to be re- releasing the announcement on the next episode anyway. But if you want to get it, the, you know, early, definitely join us live because it's going to be awesome. This episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is an awesome platform. They have the developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to do all kinds of things, so it makes it easier to scale your app to to install the app. They actually have like a marketplace to make easy things to install. They have a lot of uh, tutorials, even if you're not using DigitalOcean, there's also a lot of uh, agnostic tutorials that you can use for any kind of system. that gets actually 2,000 tutorials and all kinds of stuff to help you stay up to date for like software, frameworks, languages, and all kinds of things, open source and we're actually going to be working on some using some new droplets to build out the things like the announcement we're going to talk about next week there's a quite a few things that are being being utilized with DigitalOcean to do those so we love DigitalOcean because they make a huge uh, Im- impact in ours and our, in our, our pr- production and making it much better and uh, we way think that you'll use you'll love it too and in fact not only that that you'll love the fact that the prices are so cheap so you can get started for $5 a month or as low as 0.7 cents per hour, and that's darn near free. So, if you want to get started, it gets even better than that because they'll give you for one month for free with a $50 credit so you can try all sorts of different size droplets and different configurations and everything. And you can do that by going to doco dl Again, you can start on DigitalOcean with that $50 credit for one month for free by going to doco dl And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Destination Linux.
1: Community feedback this week is from Dave, who goes on to say, hi, guys, I'll try and keep this brief. I'm trying to limit the amount of tracking by Google, and I'm sure that's something that uh, Ryan will appreciate. So I loaded up Opera and it runs more efficient than Firefox in my OpenSUSE laptop with low overhead. I love the overall workflow in Opera. Do you feel that Opera is now less secure because it was sold in 2016 to a Chinese company? Am I just trading the eyes from Google on me to China? Thanks, Dave.
2: So my opinion, Opera, I've, I've used it in the past, specifically back in the day when it was a mobile browser. It was kind of well known for its gesturing system that they had implemented. Not a lot of browsers have copied it. They, they, they are, however, today based on Chromium. I don't know if they always were. I don't recall, but I know today they're based on Chrome. They used to have their so own
0: system, like version 12. Opera
4: existed before Chrome
2: existed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So now that it's based on Chromium, I really don't feel like you're gaining anything more than you would gain from just using Chromium, for instance. Um in in using Opera. So the whole idea of it being purchased by Chinese businessman and a couple other tech firms that are involved with it certainly does, if you're worried about government entities and the the hacking that's going on, I think leave some questions of its true security measures that are in place, plus being based on Chromium. I I just, my answer, honestly, at this point is if you are truly concerned with privacy and security, the best option at the moment is still Firefox. There are things yep. Firefox has done that make me question some of the things, but they're very minor in the grand scheme of things, whereas Chrome, I could spend hours questioning their decisions and the things that they do. So Firefox is not perfect, but they are the best. And and I will absolutely agree, Chrome and Chromium-based browsers generally are more efficient and they're faster. There was, in fact, a... Not even more efficient,
0: most, but faster, faster in rendering In the most times.
2: recent Pharonix benchmarks, he did a test between the latest release that just happened to Firefox last week and the latest release of Chrome. Chrome stomped Firefox the entire time. But the important thing to remember is we're talking fifths of a second stomping. So mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're waiting for a browser to load a fifth of a second more, uh, or two-fifths of a second more. Like, this is so...
0: Um, Non such a non-issue. It also matters like how much it stomps in the tens of render time versus the amount of re- uh, resources it uses of your system, and it also matters how many tabs were tested and what kind of tabs were testing. If it was a video site or if it was a random text site. So like, there's so many different factors there that uh, go into that. So once you get to the certain level of Chrome having like a hundred tabs open, Chrome is ridiculous versus. Firefox in the sense of resource usage. but I agree completely that Firefox is going is the best uh, privacy available browser that has all the, all the most uh, the, the main features that you want from a browser and a lot of extra stuff like the container tabs and that kind of thing. Uh, so if you if you want to learn more about Firefox and how, why it's awesome, the seven reasons why I use Firefox video on my channel is a great way to check it out. Uh, but I'd also say that if you wanted to use Chromium brace browser for some reason, I would say that if you're going to do that opera is pretty much, you can just ignore it because all the benefits that were, that you would look at opera are also available in Vivaldi and Vivaldi is created by the original team that made opera. And back in the day when opera was actually its own browser. So I mean, Vivaldi is also a Chromium based browser. So you're still having that kind of issue. But at the same time, if you insist on having Chromium based, I think Vivaldi is a good option. That's, you know, it's still a proprietary option so if you want the open source aspect, then Chromium's the only really option there you can get. But if you want something like what Opera used to be, Vivaldi is the closest one in terms of the Chromium-based stuff.
2: And Michael's aware of this. I spent probably two to three months trying other browsers outside of Firefox on my personal machines. And I switched every machine over for those months. And I did everything from Brave, Opera, Vivaldi. And I had issues with all of them from, it, it was random things. For Brave, for instance, one day I opened up and there was all of these tabs of websites I had never visited before open on my screen. And I don't know how it happened. It was just when I, actually what, what, what it was is I was redoing, I was using their sync system. And when I did the sync code because they have you write in text, that's when it opened up all these things, these tabs that I had never opened before. So I was thinking it must have synced somebody else's data. Well, that's enough right there. Brave's gone. I'm done. So then I went to Vivaldi and I had issues, I think with Vivaldi where on certain distros, it just I just couldn't get it to run correctly. It kept shutting down or having problems. And it just kind of went the gamut to, at the end, I told Michael like, okay, you were right again, Firefox is still it, like at the end of the day. And that's what I feel you know, is just the best option.
4: We need to we need to garner some support for Firefox too because as Internet Explorer transitions to the, the, the Chrome engine, you're going to have 90 some plus percent that are using Chrome and 10% that is split between every other browser, right? That includes yeah. Safari, that includes Firefox, that includes Vivaldi, that includes Opera, that includes every other uh, browser system. And so Firefox has the best frameworks, right? and i'm i'm recently refalling in love with firefox framework again because the browser that is on selfish os is based off the firefox framework and it works great and certain things that a tiny little organization like well i don't know tiny but small organization like yala is not going to be able to reinvent the wheel from the ground up is only possible because the firefox framework exists and if it wasn't there they'd probably base it off of chrome and so if we if we if we're really if we're really serious about limiting you know, the, the, the fact that websites are opening on other people's sync systems, that's terrifying. Right. right. Like, Very that's much. a privacy nightmare that is absolutely terrifying that all of your websites that you have logged in, you sign into the sync system, that shows up on somebody else's system just randomly, just goes to show you how bad uh, these, these privacy invasive you know, sync systems are. Uh, mm-hmm. and so and, and Firefox doesn't suffer from any of those issues right yeah. so I, I feel like we owe it to the Firefox team and the Mozilla team to try to be good stewards of saying hey this is a technologically superior product to use and it provides a better end experience and it do, they do actually care about your privacy and by the way if you have any questions about that just show up to a Mozilla meeting they meet every week and it's open
1: mm-hmm. yeah. but let's get back to one of the questions that he asked in his uh, communicate with us because um, Opera is based on Google. Is he not really swapping over the Google eyes? Do they still have all of those no. eyes on you, even though it's Opera?
4: No, because Chromium is totally open source, right? And so, if just because something uses the Chrome engine, doesn't necessarily come with any of the privacy privacy problems, right? right. If, if if it's if it's Google Chrome proper, yes. But if you're using anything based on the Chromium engine, I Ryan, you'd probably be better. Person to answer this than I, but I don't think there's any way that Google is going to be able to come in and do anything. Otherwise, that would get pointed out inside of the source code. They go, "Hey, look at this one thing. This API key sends all of the, you know, I don't know URL or well, search." Data I think That's what not-
2: I, I think you're partially correct, but in my experience, there are two things that get hacked and compromised the most. Number one is add-on system. And number two is sync systems. So if you're using Chromium, the first thing, as I recall, when I used to install it, it pops up with is log into your Google account. So now you've got your sync system set up that's going to be interfacing with Google servers. The second one uses the Google store app store, which is the primary place where they're actually siphoning people are siphoning information from your computer and browsing history and all that stuff. You know. But those are
1: optional,
4: right? You don't have they, to. Yeah, siphon. you don't
2: have to. So to your point, you're correct on, on one asset. If you're just using the Chromium engine, you're not doing the beginning scene of syncing your Google um, account up to Chromium and you're not doing add-ons from the Google store, you're probably okay. But in that case, I would say, why well, aren't you just using Firefox so you can use the sync system and can use add-ons that you can trust? But mm. in essence, you're you're correct.
1: Mm-hmm. and and the china question is that just a tinfoil hat question or no are they i concern? mean
0: there's there's really no way to say because what that all the stuff that's in in opera and even vivaldi all the stuff that's sitting on top of the chromium stuff is proprietary so we really don't know what they're yeah, doing there anyway
4: we don't know for sure but we do know that china has a vested interest and in, really doesn't value data privacy at all right like they're no, very open true. about the fact that they block certain sites and block certain you know subnets and, and all of that so i mean You don't know for sure, but I'd say there's 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 generous evidence to suggest that using a Chinese based browser is not going to lead to enhanced privacy.
0: Oh, yeah, Yeah. I I would I would say I would agree with that. It's it's probably not likely to improve it or anything. And so especially going from Google to anything else, like you're still if you go from from Google Chrome to Chromium you can kind of sort of fill it as long as you don't log into the other stuff but at the same time like like Ryan said like Firefox can provide you all the features and not have to worry about the tracking issue because that one of their biggest uh, you know main feature points is the privacy and the lo- lacking of tracking
2: yeah now I'm not a fan of how some of the things Firefox does to be clear but they are literally the best option out there in my opinion on the if research, you're
0: focused on privacy that. If you're focused on privacy, or in general, because container tabs are amazing. Container Container tabs.
4: Container tabs are amazing. However, talk to anybody that has used Firefox and Chrome side-by-side, and every one of them will tell you that there are just little tiny things. And, yes, maybe it's only a fifth of a second here or there, but there are tiny little things all around the Chrome browser and, and, and the design of it that make it just a little bit more performant, a little bit faster, a little bit better. Uh, is is it anything lightning? No. Do I Have I used it both side-by-side and seen what they're talking about and still choose to use Firefox? Yes. But Absolutely. it is a conscious decision based on privacy, not a flat out, well, it's just the best browser ever. I do think that Chrome has some technical competitive advantages that we have to address because not to do so would mean that we stump the future growth of Firefox. That's very Agreed. Tyler writes in regarding the discussion of a password manager and 2FA from last episode. He says, Why not just use KeyPass XC and synchronize your password database with the DigitalOcean droplet? No fancy scripts needed. Just use the SCP command to manually synchronize. That isn't that much work. That way you can use free and open source software as your password manager. I've been doing this using OpenBSD, the best OS. <laughs> No. Instance on Voltaire <laughs> for several months now, and I can't imagine using a closed source password manager. Kind regards. Love the show, Tyler. So here is uh, – so I, I, I'll, I'll give you my take on it, and then I'll let some of the other guys chime in. So as to why you should use XC. All of my main password databases are in KeePass because I, I like the fact that I have a local file with local encryption that I have stored on a local drive that isn't anywhere on a network. It goes to an air gap machine and all of the real passwords that I actually have to keep safer that, that are on that machine only. Now, that doesn't do much for, in the way of convenience, which is what you're talking about. The reason that I wouldn't use XC and sync it over with an SCP command is because that'll work fine if you're just backing up one machine or syncing between two machines. And you're the only one using it. It becomes infinitely more difficult if you just want to say, I need to sit down at a machine and with just what I have and what I know, be able to access, set a new machine up. If you want to do that, um, there are better ways to do it. The, the easiest way is to set up something like C file and sync your key pass database around. Now, C file has a Uh, duplication protections of the if the if the key if a key pass file is a database is already open on one machine c file is going to recognize that it's going to create a conflict document and it's going to give you two copies and say hey at this particular time on this particular date you opened up a, a, a password database i noticed that it was already open so i've created a conflict resolution for you boss which one do you want to be the master or how do you want to merge them and so we'll deal all of that for you the, the the better version if you want to go one step further than that is just use something like Bitwarden because Bitwarden is also open source specifically designed to be synced around multiple devices encrypted by default and only your password can unlock the private key and although unlike key pass the private key is actually stored on the server which is what allows it to sync to any other device because it's encrypted with your passphrase uh, you can't the, even, even, even the folks at Bitwarden are able to unlock your, uh, your private key and thus can't unlock your private database. Uh, I would argue that Bitwarden is basically a drop-in replacement for LastPass in that it has all the same functionality and features of LastPass, mm-hmm. but it can be self-hosted. It is open source and all the information is owned by you. So and has I extra like features
0: it... that LastPass doesn't have that makes it even better. Right.
4: So I, I like where you're going with it. I definitely agree with the local storage options. There's just better, in my opinion, there are better ways to get to where you're going.
2: I think there's multiple options here for people. And in that last episode, we got a lot of feedback. Why not talk about Bitwarden? Why not talk about uh, all these other key pass XC we've heard before. Um, it just shows there are a lot of options out there. And if you have a system that works for you, then by all means, utilize it. But make sure that you're listening to some experts out there on security and things and keeping your database up to date and your DigitalOcean server up to date because obviously anything can be hacked. And when we talked about this, I was talking about FreeOTP. I'm not sure if you were on the episode, Noah. FreeOTP is actually developed by Red Hat and distributed out there as a two-factor authentication system for Apple iOS Uh, Android uh, and all the other devices out there for desktops and things as a two-factor authentication tool. Now, I use Bitwarden. I pay for Bitwarden, but I also use FreeOTP because I actually split my accounts based on their sensitivity into multiple authentication, different systems. In case one was to get compromised, I have backups. My most sensitive accounts, I use something like FreeOTP, which does no syncing to the cloud, has no cloud syncing at all. It's just a file that you can back up, but it's just a file sitting there um that is not accessed by the cloud. And then if I need something that's syncable, like my email service for two FA, I'll use something like a Bitwarden or another tool. So there are multiple ways to go about security. I think it's all about the attack vector, how big of a platform you want if somebody does break in your stuff, because everything can be broken into.
1: It's mm-hmm. just a
2: matter of somebody wanting it. And yeah. And so, with that being said, I think you need to minimize the attack vectors as much as possible. So maybe using a combination of services is an option as well. Yeah,
4: mm-hmm. I, I would just depend onto that. That I, I agree with 99% of that, except for the fact of like if they if they want it bad enough, right? I would challenge I would challenge anybody to say that I trust the encryption and I trust my security practices enough that the passwords are that are stored on my previously mentioned encrypted hard drive that has never been plugged into a machine that has any sort of outside connectivity in the world there is approximately 0.00000000001 chance that anybody's ever going to get access to those passwords
1: well, and a final security tip and it is probably so obvious everyone's going to oh really you've got this wonderful Bitwarden or keypass xc or whatever you've got change the master password oh my gosh yes so many people will sit there going, I've got bitwalled and I'm safe. Password one, no one will get into yeah. this. It'll be working perfectly. You need it's, to have a very what?
0: strong Next master month. password. Yeah,
1: yeah. not Next only that. Month, password two or password seven oh. or password six. Just change it. So many people I know. What's your password? When's the last time you changed it? Seven months ago. Really, madness. Or, or times it. where they'll
0: be like, there. It's like what's what's your password? Oh, it's my birthday written out. Like, no. C- that.
1: Consider this,
4: okay. A password manager with an insecure master password or a password manager that doesn't utilize U2F is actually worse. It's going to be a little, there's going to be, a, this is going to take some people for a ride. Okay, ready? It's worse than just using the same password for everything. Because at least when you use the same password for everything, nobody has a directory listing. They don't know what your username is and they don't know what all the, all the sites are. If you have a unique password, let's say it's an insanely good unique password, but you have one central place that has every site, every username, and all of those really secure, unique passwords, and it's secured with something very insecure, you've not only given somebody access to your password list, but you've also given them a directory listing on all the places they can use it, right? It's actually worse. So. If you're going to go into a password manager, if you're going to have one central place for somebody to attack you, you better make sure that you do your due diligence to make sure that thing is absolutely locked down tight and you're not doing what Michael does and secure it with the password. <laughs> I love Ryan, Intel, <laughs> NVIDIA, and Ubuntu proper.
0: That's not what I do. I, as, as we discussed that's previously. That's not password anymore. You changed it? No, no. <laughs> but, what my, what, no. but what I do is, well, we we already discussed previously, I just don't have things connected or powered on at all. So
4: Yeah, that's a good that's a
2: good tip. Don't power on anything. You're safe. Yeah, there you go. Just turn it off.
0: Totally secure. So a couple episodes ago, we got a video from Ricardo, and we responded to him in the episode, and he decided to give us a a reply in email, and uh, he says, thanks a lot for answering my question. I heard about i3 but never used it. I will definitely try that out. The long-term plan is to control everything through the keyboard with minimal UI that is performant and minimal as possible. Is there... Uh, is there a specific setup, distro, guide, or anything you can recommend for that? And he says, I don't mind the setup being hard. What I, lo- I When I looked into it, people were recommending Arch Linux and then only install what you need and that sort of thing. He said, but also I, for the shortcuts, I actually found a great open source project called QMK or QMK Firmware. This does exactly what I want and more, I had never heard about it before. It provides a bunch of interesting features like leader key, different layers, macros, and many more. So the only issue is that the software runs on the keyboard specifically, so it requires a keyboard that has support for that firmware. So if you don't have your keyboard doesn't have support for QMK, you can't use it. If you guys didn't know about it, this project yet might be interesting. To look into it. Does require having that Kadanet kind of paddle keyboard though. Uh, but uh, also for the swag, since I'm from Germany, there's no need to pay for any shipping costs from the U.S. Have a great week, and thanks, uh, thanks for Ricardo for sending in that reply. And uh, we, Ryan, there's actually we have a solution for Ricardo on the swag thing.
2: Well, our solution is Zeb, so maybe Zeb could uh, uh, get you some swag. So we've got your address, or if you could send us your address, we could still get that to you in Germany, which will be slightly cheaper, I think, for Zeb to ship it Uh, Mm -hmm. than us from the U.S., and we'll make sure Zeb gets compensated back for that. So definitely, definitely, definitely uh, give us your address so we can get you that swag out. Now, to answer your question regarding the distro here, so Arch Linux is, obviously, we were talking about it earlier about Michael running it. I like Arch. But if you have found a solution without reinstalling an OS, unless you just want to play with a different OS, I say you stick with what you have and use QMK because that solves your issue. Um, but if you're wanting to play around with an I three setup, what we were talking about before, then actually I would go Arco Linux. I think he probably has one of the best I three pre setups out there and it has a GUI installer. So you don't have to mess with figuring out arch again, unless you want to learn uh, how to install it and go through that. But Arco Linux has a pre setup i three. He uses conky, which has a wallpaper on the side to tell you the shortcuts right there on your wallpaper. So you can kind of get a nice preset up i3 experience without having to set it up yourself. And then as you learn i3, you can start going in and customizing it and learning the code that way. That would be my recommendation if you want to. But otherwise, if you're happy with what you have and you found a good solution, stay there
1: so we want to hear from you our listeners send in your favorite linux software tips or tricks Um, but more importantly do you like the slight change that we've made to the show where we're having more feedback at the beginning of the episodes if you like that idea great let us know on comments at destinationlinux.org, and any other topic that you think we should be covering shouldn't be covering you did like this you didn't like that we love getting your feedback because it helps us structure the show and gives us some great topics of discussion
2: So this week in the news, we have Gnome 3.34 that is dropping this week. So Gnome has had a reputation. I think this is fair that in the past, when you see a release, generally you see things being taken away, not being added. Doesn't mean we don't love Gnome. That's just something that's kind of gone out there as a meme and has become a meme out there, but they are changing that. And you can see that in this release 3.34 because literally nothing is being taken away. There are only new things being added in here. So I was pretty excited to see that. I think one of the standout features for those who like the grid-like show application menu of GNOME is the ability now to drag and drop apps together into folders. So if you're familiar with this on your phone, you can, you know, on your phone, usually you grab an icon, you drag it over another icon, it creates a folder and pops up and tells you to name it. Before in GNOME, you had to go through the settings menu to create individual folders and then go back to the applications and decide what you want to move in now all that can be done right from the show application Very just nice. like on your phone you drag it drop it over another icon it prompts you to create a folder and you're done they're also improving things like background wallpapers to make it easier for you to add pictures from anywhere so before if you recall you had to have your wallpapers in the pictures folder that's the only place it allowed you to search now you could search anywhere in your file system and choose the picture that you want as your background. And finally, and probably the best change here, in my opinion, is performance-based because while I've been using Pop!OS a lot and I love Pop!OS on my System76 machine, I have to say, and and this is the case when I've used Fedora GNOME and others, it just feels slow, right? Compared to a KDE or an XFCE. It's not that it's truly slow, it's still 20,000 times faster than Windows, don't get me wrong, But it's either the animations or whatever, just the performance. It's all running on a single thread. The single threaded issue, whatever. So in any case, Canonical's Daniel Van View has put in a series of Gnome Shell performance patches to remove the sluggishness and make the overall experience feel smoother. So I'm very excited to experience those changes there as well. There are other things they've enhanced, Gnome Boxes, Hot Corners, UI improvements, nothing being taken away. I guess the unfortunate thing is if you're not on a rolling distro, you're going to have to wait till the new official releases of all the distros to experience all the changes in GNOME 3.34 or go and compile it, I guess yourself. Um, yeah, but that's pretty much for happening.
0: every de though. so I mean that's yeah. that's just something that most des have to deal with. But it's really great that gnome shell is improving all this stuff, especially the performance thing because I agree it feel like it's, it feels really nice and polished, but it doesn't it, f- it also feels a little sluggish in certain cases. so it improve the performance is one of the most important factors. I'll, I really like the the making it easier to create folders things because the the way that they lay out the, the app grid, that's actually one of my favorite ways of having the layout on the desktop. Um, I don't duplicate it on my system, but I do duplicate a lot of their workflow because I think Gnome's workflow is pretty good. Uh, so this is really cool. And, uh, I think that if you uh, if you wanted to, see, I think there's actually a way to do like a like a Docker container or some kind of image. I'm pretty sure there's a way to test the new versions. You wouldn't be able to play with it. You wouldn't be able to run it. But I think there is like a, some kind of testing system that they're doing, or maybe like No Boxes has the ability to do it. So I think that's cool. If you if you want to check out the latest version and you don't want to wait for your distro, I think there there is a way for that.
1: So up next, we've got a tool that I'm sure is in everybody's toolbox. Um, We've all been there before. We've made some changes. We've just installed the latest GNOME Desktop 3.34. You go to Reboot, nothing. Grub has mysteriously decided to mess up. Now, it's not the fault of GNOME 3.34. Let's get that clear. It's just one of those things that happens with computers. So what do you do? You go to your trusty Super Grub Disk 2. So they've now got a new release 2.04 sierra 1 Um, that's 2.04 s1 so it's been released and the other options that are out there for me just don't seem to be as good as super grub 2 disk so some of the new features that they are including this time around um, is extra grub 2 functionality now It's really strange because they don't actually list what that extra functionality is. So I guess you're going to have to play with the interface to try and find out. They've enabled Grub2's LVM support. They've enabled RAID support. They've enabled PATA support to work around old BIOS um, bug limitations, etc. They've mounted encrypted volumes, Lux and Gelly. And they've enabled serial terminals. Not quite sure what that means, but I'm sure one of the technical guys uh, can help you with this. But if you've ever been stuck with needing to get back into your system, definitely um, super grub 2Disc will be your savior. Um, guys who's had really good experience with this?
2: I'm really curious, no, because you or do this professionally, right? You have people who mess up their machines. They probably call you and go, oh, my gosh, what do I do? Or in your case, you may have a machine that you have to get back in the morning. Maybe you tried something to test what a client's doing and you messed up your grub. I know you keep rescue discs on you at all times. I, yep. I actually keep one around my uh, on, on my swag chain here uh, that mm-hmm. I have that has my YubiKey. And this is actually a little USB key here with grub rescue on it. That's so awesome. I was- I was curious, what do you carry on? What are some of the tools you carry with you? So I
4: I use System Rescue CD uh, is what I carry as as a tool on my my flash drive. But, you know, the honest to God truth is, and this is kind of an unpopular thing to say, but it's the truth. Grub is a very, very stable bootloader, right? So at the point that something goes drastically wrong with Grub, 95% of the time, there's something else going on, and grub is just the symptom of the problem, right? You have a hard drive failure, you have somebody that is messing with something that shouldn't be. There's usually another issue going on. Now, that's not so much true for people that necessarily listen to the show, right? Because we intentionally screw around with our systems, and yeah, every once in a while you bork something, and then you go and you go, well, instead of reinstalling, instead of nuke and pave, which is what we all do when we first start out, let's see if we can actually fix the problem. And by the way, you should always try to fix the problem, even if you nuke and pave afterwards because you'll learn something but when you're maintaining machines for other people or when you're fixing stuff chances are if, gr- if grub has something bad has gotten g- happened to grub you should be looking elsewhere you shouldn't necessarily be focusing on fixing grub because chances are something else is broken nice. so super grub Disc
2: 2 for instance is an interesting one because it doesn't actually fix grub for you right it doesn't try to do an auto fix in there it just literally gets you all the boot options that are available at that moment and allows you to get back in the operating system so that you can go in there and try to find out what has happened, what has taken place. And it and it's, it's basically OS agnostic. If it's a Windows boot partition you need to get back into, a Linux partition you need to get back into, it's going to find all of the available boot options and list them out there. And then you can choose which one you need to get back into. And then, of course, you're going to have to do your repairs unless you want to use this 24-7 to get into your system uh, to grub, do a grub, reinstall, or whatnot that needs to be done in order to get your system yeah. working again. I think it's an awesome tool that everybody should have on a USB drive that you write in permanent marker. This is what I have to do so I don't keep overwriting my USB drives as I'm getting a new distro. Don't overwrite this USB or this is Grub Rescue or make sure you label it so you have it there because when you need it, you're going to need it probably pretty bad and you'll have that USB that you, know you put away uh, somewhere to get back into your system and repair things.
0: Yeah, it's also good for example if you want just to get back in, so you can like even if you don't, if if you, if you wanted a new can pay, this is still a good tool because you can get back in and then make a backup of all the files and all the configurations and stuff. Because you know if you had an issue prior and you couldn't boot in, some people would just kind of like just wipe the whole drive and lose everything. This way, you could still get back in and get all your stuff, including Lux encrypted drives, which is awesome. So. Uh, I think it's it's definitely something you should check out, and I agree completely. If you if you want if you need this if you do any kind of tech support or whatever, having something like this on a, a flash drive available is a fantastic uh, solution.
2: So Noah, I don't know if you know the answer to this. I'm going to put you on the spot. The question Zeb asked: Enable serial terminal. When I think of a serial terminal, I think of like a RS two
4: thirty two terminal or something like that. It's if you've ever set up like a, a Dell Enterprise server, one of the things that it it has a capability of doing inside of the BIOS is uh, what they call console redirection, and essentially what that does is you choose a com port on the back of the on the back of the server, and it will redirect the int- like the BIOS and all of the stuff that boots up until it hits the operating system. It will redirect all of that output over the serial port to include uh, your command line interface if you're just using CLI in your operating system. Uh, and and so what that does is it, it it allow when it comes out of the com port, then of course you can use all sorts of tools like uh, you know like a terminal server to get that. Comport data to a remote location, and right. so you're able to actually boot and reinstall the OS remotely even without using something like iDRAC. Uh, and so if if I were a betting man, that's what I would say they mean when they when they're talking about serial console access.
2: very cool. makes sense to me
0: so firefox sixty nine has been released. And this is a this new version is has like comes with a new suite of uh, privacy tools and security improvements for protections for its users. Uh, one of the most talked about features for this release is the enhanced tracking protection or the ETP. So the ETP is now turned on by default. And it, it blocks third-party tracking cookies, crypto miners, and the strict setting adds the ability to block fingerprinting as well. I'm pretty sure the strict setting is not on by default, but you can just go into your preferences and just click a checkbox and it adds that on there. You can. It also has improved the uh, blocking of autoplay for videos. I
2: love that. So That's one of
0: my favorite things. Like, I, there's, I'm there's. i not sure if it's on by default, but if it isn't, you should go definitely go in and turn it on because the autoplaying... Uh, it's the most annoying thing, especially when there's these ads, or there's like these. You go to the article for a, like a website to like to see the latest news, and then they have a video playing that's completely irrelevant to the actual article you want to read, you're like, oh, I have to turn this off, and then whatever. Yeah. Like, that, that is such a, like, it's, it doesn't seem like it's that big of an issue, but when you turn it on, it's just amazing, like, just to have that kind of feature. Uh, there's also the something that, that's being added where the US users can get new, the, the new tab or page experience where it connects to your pocket uh, content, so that's pretty interesting if you use the pocket service. And they've added a lot of other additional features like uh, multiple video codec mixing, uh, making it a possible for uh, WebRTC conference services to mix video from multiple clients into the thing. So that's really cool. And quite a few more things. There's uh, there's actually, uh, like, I'm a fan of Firefox overall, but one of the things that I really love about it is that their focus on privacy and security is, like, their top thing that they do. So, you know this is like these improvements are something i'm happy to see as well as all the other features that they're working on as well
2: so there's some interesting news obviously this is what i want to see coming from firefox in every announcement and they've delivered at least on the last four or five releases with a complete focus on lockdown and security and track protection and this is this is why i use firefox this is why i love them right they're the ones out there who regardless of the ad revenue impacts this has by blocking everything out there on these sites, by stopping videos out there, which, you know, um, obviously companies like Google and things, they want to block everybody else's ads, but I want to make sure theirs come through. You know, there's just a completely different intention here from Mozilla than there are from the other companies. But there's something interesting that happened. I'd like to get everybody's opinion on. Chris Beard has been the CEO through this since, um, I, I don't know how long he's been CEO. I guess for the last four or five years, maybe longer. Michael,
0: do you know? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he started in 2014. 2014, yeah. yeah. So Chris Beard
2: has been the CEO through a lot of this transition with Mozilla. Obviously, things are changing heavily. I've looked at the numbers. You know, In the last two years, the user base for Mozilla has not gained. It's actually dropped, mm-hmm. which makes me incredibly sad that less and less people care about their privacy. Um, but over the last two years, the, the users have dipped from 310 million to 239 million users. That's a significant drop. I think a lot of that actually came during the time where they had the issue with the license that
0: expired. Yeah, the, the, it was not a license. It was a certificate because they all their, like basically every add-on broke for a lot right. of people. So,
2: um, So it's interesting at this time. I think Chris has done a great job. But when the CEO changes, a lot can change for a company. Uh, A lot of cultural shifts can happen. Things Mm -hmm. can go bad. They can go really right. We don't know. It depends on who they choose. Anybody have any thoughts here on what this means for Mozilla or Firefox as far as losing their CEO?
1: Uh, As long as it's not going to be somebody like um, Eric Emerson Schmidt, I think we we, we, we should be okay. I
4: I don't think the Firefox community will allow somebody like, like Schmidt to come in right I think that I think that one of the things that's great about Mozilla is that the organization itself exists above and beyond a given CEO a, a beyond a given leader I remember a couple of years ago there was a, a quote-unquote scandal I guess if I can use that word where the the uh, CEO of Mozilla was uh, it, it came out that he was contributing large portions of money to um religious organizations that held views that were not in line with people that lived an alternative lifestyle. And, um, he, he I guess he stepped down over that, you know? And, and so, and part of that is because Mozilla as a whole, as an organization, as a product, as a project exists beyond just one person. And so, no, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't think who gets the position really has a huge amount of impact because I think if they're not a good fit, the community has, proven time and time again that they'll be shown the door.
0: Yeah, I mean Firefox I mean, I... is interesting because they actually they do their the CEO does have the influence or whatever, but the Firefox organization is like Noah said is 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 wrapped around an ideal structure. So like their ideals are more important to the of the, uh, the whims of a CEO. So they're only gonna be getting a CEO that fits their ideals, I would right. I would assume. So with that,
2: is there some advice here? Obviously, they're losing momentum. Some of it is not their fault. There are a lot of factors occurring in various ecosystems within Linux uh, with, you know, Chromium mass adoption, Microsoft going to Chromium. Of course, Microsoft, we know, loves Linux. Um, So is there anything here that we think, what would you do if you were given this position, any of you, this is open for anyone, to help Mozilla get back, some of the user base they've lost. I, think, I
1: have so I think many things. Sorry, if I, could, I think the difficulty with that one is that you're dealing with a general public that doesn't care. These That's guys right. use Facebook. These guys use That's Windows. Right. These guys use Google. They're not interested in the technological superiority of a product like Mozilla. So you are fighting a really big uphill struggle. So the only, the only suggestion that I can give to them is keep doing what you're doing, keep becoming I- I innovative, making it more secure, and then hopefully one day the general public will wake up. might not be for a few years yet, might not be for a long, long time, going by experience, but you're on a, you're on a log, long, long hill climb. It's going to be big. make a
2: great point, Noah, because I, or Zeb, I really thought Cambridge Analytica situation breach was going to just enlighten the population of how serious the people who were saying in the past – And we've, you know, of, hey, I don't care. I don't put anything out there. I just have Facebook and post I like cheesecake every once in a while. So I'm safe. But you would think when Cambridge Analytica broke that everyone would have opened their eyes and going, oh, my gosh, I have to get off this service. This is a complete violation of our privacy, overreach by the government and corporations, but nothing really happened. Right.
0: Well, it's also because of the way that it's we've we've got desensitized a lot of factors, but there's also an issue of like one of the like I'm a marketer so one of the things that I always look at is the marketing. And Firefox does not market itself very well. Right. And they it, they also don't pre- pre- present their best feet the best foot forward type of thing because there's many things that are amazing about Firefox and they don't really talk about them like for example the container tabs not only do they never talk about it in any of their releases it's not even a part of the browser unless you use the add-on which Mozilla makes so the feature is a Mozilla thing that they didn't add to the browser itself so you have to go and get that feature. And then once Mm -hmm. you have that feature, you're like, this is awesome. I wish it could do these other things, which are also in other add-ons that you could totally do, including Mm -hmm. a Facebook container, which is also a separate add-on that Mozilla made. There's many things that they just included this by default and made an easier experience. It would make the transition for people a much cleaner way, and it would make it where... Firefox is no longer, you know, it's basically right now, it's like a piecemeal situation where you have this amazing platform to do all these different cool features, but you have to know that those features exist and set them up.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, I know it's obvious to us, but let's just put it in in, in simplistic terms. If you open up your browser, Firefox, and you put Facebook in either a container or the Facebook container, that makes it 100% more difficult for them to track you. So, yes, they're still getting a bit of information, but they're not getting information that you then went to Google search next, and you then went to look at Amazon and you then went to look because you're no longer on Facebook, but they are tracking you. But if you put it into a container, that makes it much more difficult for them to do. Yeah I think and you also always
2: have to follow the money trail and the thing my advice uh, for yeah. Mozilla CEO is this is they're going to need to be able to find a way to make money and unfortunately the easiest way is to violate people's privacy and security so they actually have a much harder their hands are tied behind their back and weights tied around their feet because they're trying to be private and secure and somehow make money at the same time so i think right. the answer to that actually is for them to provide more services in a to michael's point as a combined suite so people don't have to go hunt and find out to this day people are like firefox has an ability to send files like firefox send firefox has these encryption services for stuff people don't know about the services because they're all spread out all over the place they make they need to make a google suite alternative where you go to a firefox search engine it uses a privacy-based search and yep. right there, there's a little button you click on that shows you all the apps available and they need to sell and charge for it, much like Purism tried to do with their privacy suite. But if it came from a company, and we all said this back when Purism announced it, that we, we totally trusted like Mozilla, all of us would pay into it. There's ways to make money there. Yes, they have a more of an uphill battle than anybody else. But I think I hope the new CEO um, hears this or gets the feedback maybe from someone in the community that works there because I think there's money to be made. That would be the way I would execute on it if I was an issue.
0: Yeah, I agree. Just have it polish up your browser, get all the really innovative things that you create and put them like accessible to people so that they know about it. And the services thing is a fantastic point. I, I, I would absolutely love to have a service from my, from Mozilla to have all of those different features in a nice sweet approach, like having an email and calendar and all that stuff. That would be one of the things that Mozilla could basically like turn, I think that would be if they did both of those things where they made it, they polished their their browser, put all their features actually in the browser, and then provided a service that makes it more people want to use their browser. Then yeah, I think we turn it around completely. And I think all the the users they lost from that, the, the hiccups that they've had, would be happy to come back, and in fact thrilled to come back. Not only because they they get the the best browser and all these cool features, but they also get the convenience and polish of having uh, everything in one suite.
2: Well, you have the potential of 239 million users now giving you $5, $10 a month. So that definitely is going to help with some of the loss there, even if you didn't gain additional users. Jacob in our Telegram chat or Zoom chat says Mozilla is odd and the container tabs is an add-on, but Pocket is not removable, even though Pocket as just an add-on that they bought. So that just kind of goes to the point here that... Yeah, that is you know, weird. Container tabs, they, they put Pocket by default. You can put container tabs in there by default, which is probably the most prominent, easy to explain to anybody, greatest feature Firefox has right off the cuff, that anybody, even yep. if they're not a security expert, could understand how great of a system that is.
0: Yeah, my seven reasons for using Firefox video, the number one reason is container tabs. So yep. you absolutely should check that out. Container did also. you do a
1: video, Michael? Oh, oh honestly, did, did it, I, did it, I did mention that? that
0: if he didn't mention it, he
4: Michael did a video. Uh, everyone, so they know, Michael did a video. And so if you want to check anything out, don't listen to this show. Go listen to Michael's YouTube video.
0: I'm not saying that. I'm just saying ad- in addition to.
4: Let
2: me add to the end of the show that Michael did a video, and people should check it out.
0: All right, We'll cool. also
4: have it linked in the show notes to this show, the other video that he did for his show. That's You're
0: not wrong about that. You should be listening to also. In addition to. In addition to.
4: The Purim Librem 5 is supposedly shipping. Now uh, the Purism folks have announced that a date has been set for the launch of the Librem 5 and um, well, they're shipping a product. It's just not the product that people purchased. So I guess that's a step in the right direction, but I'm curious, is this another example of Purism promising too much and falling just a little bit short or are are we making progress in a general direction to getting an actual privacy-enhanced phone? Because I I, I break down one of two ways, right? As a guy who is obsessed with a Sailfish OS phone, there's nothing I would like more than a US-based company to come and say, hey, we're going to release a phone for the express purpose of privacy. In fact, on top of that, we're going to load proper Linux onto this phone and you're going to be able to buy the phone and you'd be able to just have it. And if that process took an extra six months or an extra eight months or an extra year, I would still be okay with it because it's a great product that fulfills An actual niche, one that I am personally trying to fill. The problem that I have, the problem that I continue to have, and the problem that I'm going to have today as we enter into this discussion, is that Librem makes all the right statements, all the right promises, and does all the right things. They have all of the right things in their marketing videos, all the right things on their website. Everything to a privacy-conscious individual exists uh, from Librem. But if I had packed this phone, I still wouldn't have it in my hands. Am I right or am I wrong? That's I, I guess where my frustration stems from.
2: I a hundred percent agree with what you're saying here. And I don't have the history. I haven't been in Linux long enough to know. I mean, I've just heard the stories what's happened with the laptops that they promised and took a long time to eventually deliver. Obviously I think a lot of us who uh, me, I'll just speak for myself in telecom. If somebody said, Hey, I want to go make hardware for a phone and I'm going to make an OS and I'm going to do it in a year or two years or three years. I would say, slow down. Let's start from, you know, focus on the OS first to get it loaded on already existing device, then maybe focus on manufacturing. And by the way, that's going to take you a really long time there. As I understand it, Purism has about 30 or so employees, maybe it's slightly more, but at the end of the day, you know, there are massive organizations out there from BlackBerry to Microsoft to others who have gone into this arena and failed. Now to Purism's you know credit this is a niche market right we just talked about how few people honestly care about privacy and all that so they know they have a niche market but they did a backing here then they they got the money which i think was far too little that they set their goal for which was 2.5 million dollars in the 60 day campaign and then they said hey we're going to release this device and you're going to have a phone hardware and a operating system that's going to allow you to have all this uh freedom and privacy and security built in so we all know if you've been in the industry, they bit off way more than they could chew. Mm-hmm. I will give them credit that they at least came out and said, hey, we're going to release this in batches. And you can get one with loosely fit initial board, individually milled. You're going to have unaligned pieces and unfinished caps, but we're going to ship it on the committed date. As Michael will say, maybe be their third or fourth commitment date. I don't recall, but you're going to get it on their commit date in the September 24th, October 22nd area. We're going to call each person individually and ask you which batch you want to be a part of. Now, the third and fourth batch are really your most complete. You get all the hardware, you get the cap switches, you get all the refinements and then for some reason in quarter two, if you wait all the way till then, you get like a brand new upgrade to your phone and a new 14 nanometer CPU. The whole time to me, and I've talked to Michael about this yesterday offline, is I want, like you, Noah, I want to support a company that does this. I don't want to eat our own. I feel like they struggle terribly from two factors. Number one is marketing. And number two is project management. Yeah, keeping their word. They need to get a good project program manager into that company really, really bad. Because, and then the marketing side is they need to realize they're dealing with this niche market is probably some of your most intelligent, highly technical individuals in the business of IT. So we all know, looking at this announcement, what it really means. It's mm-hmm. oh my gosh, we're not going to be able to make the date again. Let's pretend right. like we're giving you something, like we said we were going right. to. Right.
4: I mean, the reality really is the reality is you, the, where we started is we promise you, whatever the last batch. Let's call it batch five, okay? I don't know how many batches there are, but let's say there's batch five, and batch five is the five. totally completed project, and blah 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 blah. Okay. That what really what they're saying is we promised batch five back over here. Now we're here, way past here, and we still don't even have batch one. So instead of delivering batch five back over here, we'll deliver batch five way over there. And if that's unacceptable to you, here are all the compromises you can make in between. Hmm. Like, how many times can they get away with this before people look up and go, okay, you know what? I just want to be able to buy a product and then have a product.
1: Yeah. And one of the things that was also crazy, and I think I'm right in saying, because I think one of the patrons has mentioned it as well. Okay, so you want to wait. I don't think you can wait until quarter two 2020 because that's not what you're buying. That's going to be the second generation phone. So right. you have got to make the choice. And if you say, OK, I really, really want this and I don't care if it's a little bit rattling, a bit, a bit tweaky and you've paid, I don't know, $800 for this or $599, I think, if you if you were one of the first backers, you've now just got, I'm sorry, a prototype. That you've paid five hundred dollars for, and Bingo. you're never going to get the real phone. If you want that real phone, you're going to have to then go back to Libra and pay them eight hundred dollars for the machine that you backed them to build. So that's the that's the biggest problem I have with it. However, if you paid that money and you're willing to take that first batch phone, that's your decision. Uh, you know, you're getting something. You're helping it be be made. But don't think you can then go back to them in quarter two or twenty twenty and say, right, here's your production model back. Can I have my proper phone now, please? Because you've paid for $500 and you've got what you bought. That's where I think my problem with it lies.
0: I agree. I think that the biggest – well, just a couple – a quick correction. The quarter two is actually the evergreen batch, which will be the completed phone that people want. Quarter four is when they get the second generation. So if you wanted the actual phone that you – like the ideal phone that you wanted – you got to wait another year and a few months. Um, so, if, so
1: if you back them, you can wait till quarter two?
0: Yes, you can wait to quarter two to get the evergreen version, but I don't think the quarter four version, which is the fur version, will be available unless you buy it again. Buy it oh, again. Right, gotcha. Yeah, so the... Yeah. The I think the biggest issue is the fact that they're promoting it as if it's like they made their thing. Like there's even people who uh, are promoting it in the sense like people who have been sponsored in the past by Purism talking about how this is such a great thing that they met their their shipment date is like they, they didn't. And it's OK that they didn't. Just don't tell me that you did. And yeah,
4: I think it's right. All about yeah, the just come out and say, hey, we were wrong. We didn't, yeah. we we're not able to meet your expectations. We're sorry. If you want a refund, X. If mm-hmm. you are willing to wait, Y. And if you are willing to wait, but you don't, if you're, if you're, if you don't want to wait, but you want something, Z. If you want to offer those as three options, fine. But let's start the conversation with, hey, we screwed up. We promise, we overpromised. we can't deliver. And so I, I, we all would respect that. In fact, it'd barely yeah. be a story. We would just say, hey, mm-hmm. Pierre finally announced that what we already all knew. And so now let's move forward. You know, the good thing about that is, though, they're having an openness and honest conversation. At least now we can trust them when they say, hey, we're going to deliver a product by XYZ. At least we can believe that product is going to be delivered rather than we all just have to read between the lines. Mm-hmm. I think it would be a very different discussion today if they had just come out and been honest with us. Yeah, and I think yeah. that Lieberman yeah.
0: 5 is going to be is going be a good product at some point. It's just not this quarter, you know, like yeah. – and. It's just actually kind of funny because there's 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 certain things about the Librem 5 that I'm really excited about because they because they're doing things that like the PinePhone is coming out too and the PinePhone is 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 a is a phone that's like a reasonable price phone but and people have it like, debating uh, like whether or not the Librem 5 is valuable in the sense of like the premium that they want and there are certain things that they are doing that are. Interesting and impressive, and maybe even consider like the fact that you could uh, you could like it, some of it will be modular, like you could replace the baseband or what something like that. Like those things are cool, yeah. but. Mm-hmm. If they were just upfront about these things and if they were just marketing in the sense of like they're, they were just mainly just being upfront of, to the people who they're marketing to because, like, yes, they needed help in marketing, not because they're having a bad job of getting their name out there. It's that they're getting out the wrong message because they're saying these things that just aren't true. And it's, and they're trying to, pr- it's basically marketing spin rather than just mm-hmm. being upfront.
1: All right. Well, let me ask a question out of the four of us here, who actually ordered a pre, you know, who, who backed Leban 5 and said, yeah, here's your $600. Give me a phone when it's ready.
2: Nobody's yeah. raising their hand here. Okay.
1: So let's, let's, let's bring in a comment from one of our patrons who actually did. And he goes on to say, I paid $599 and at no point expected to get a product on time. I paid the money to show support for a product that had no other way of getting to the market. And now the Pine Book is being made as well. That would never have happened without the Librem 5. I think that's a bit of a stretch, but I like the honesty in, in as much as he said, look, I took a chance. Here's my $600. Give me the phone when it's ready. I
2: see a lot of okay. people on Twitter stating that they are going to get this initial board with loose fitting and individually milled, varying alignment, unfinished caps, development board kit, basically. Okay. So the
4: community- not that. The, the community is doing their job. I think we all agree on that. That's not where my concern is, and I don't think that's where our concern is. We're not saying the community isn't responding well. What we're saying is that that is a very generous response of a community, and, and the onus becomes on the manufacturer then to respect the fact that you have a community that's willing to bend over backwards to give you money and not hold you accountable for almost anything because we all believe in the same thing. What is the, proper, what is the most appropriate way to respond to those people? To lie to their faces and say, hey, uh, you're going to get the product just like we promised. Or is the appropriate response to say, hey, you know what? Thanks for being so patient. Thanks for being so generous. Thanks for being so kind. Thanks for believing in the same ideals that we believe in. Hey, we ran into a snag. Here are the snag. Here's where it'll get resolved. Mm -hmm. I I, I mean, that's – I mean, really, I just – I really look at that and I'm like –
1: It's that business 101 mistake, isn't it? Exactly. Yes. I'm gonna give it to you in a week and it takes a month. Whereas if they said to you, I'm gonna take eighteen months and they gave it to you in a year, they're a hero.
4: Or hey, we're up against Apple and, and Microsoft and Dell and we just we're ju- we just have a hard time. Are you cool being patient with us?
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and if they were also no, we if they were if they were open about it and they were uh, upfront about it, we, right. wouldn't, we wouldn't even ha- be bothered by this at all. We would still be pr- pr- uh, supporting them. But the, also, like when you asked Zab, you asked if we, if we had like you know backed it in the beginning, the reason I actually personally, I don't know if anybody else says this, but uh, personally, I chose not to because that they did the same thing with their laptops. So I just kind of expected this to happen. Chat record. So yeah, because they have had they 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 have a track record of doing stuff like this. They they pro- over promise, under deliver, and when they do finally deliver, it's not a completed product. Like the first laptop that they started shipping out was not a completed product. So this is exactly what I expected, and that's why I didn't do it. And that's and that's why eventually, yes, their laptops got good. And eventually, I think the phone, when when the evergreen version comes out, it will be worth purchasing. I don't think that the early batches are worth purchasing. I think it's more of like, you know, this is a new, a new product and I want to promote it as a good product, but I want it to be the product that they promote to be that. So like when the evergreen comes out, I might get it or I might just wait for the new, the, the fur one when it has like, you know, six months later where it has a better c- CPU in it. I don't know. But at the same time, it's it's just a situation where they could have easily – like they have a community that wants to be on your side. Basically, everyone in the community wants to be on your side, and you're not being upfront and honest, honest to the community, and you're not being a for, a forthcoming, and you're not being upfront, especially when they say in their blog posts about how they're being so transparent and stuff, and it's like – you're not really being that transparent. You're you're being transparent about a certain a couple things, but you're also trying to spin the way that you phrase things in your fa- in your so benefit.
2: While it may not sound like it, we actually do care and hope that this company is successful. At least I yes. do personally. Yeah, we we all do. We want them yeah. to change their messaging and be actually the transparent that they talked about in their blog post and right. say what it is. I would totally have respected, and I think all of us do in the open source community, them coming out and just saying, we've bit off more than we can chew. We're sorry. Here are some options that we're giving you. To their credit, though, I do appreciate the fact that they're not just going out there and saying, hey, this is our initial run and deal with it. You do have the option in the community.
4: Well, okay. You know, you can, so you can say, hey, I really respect the fact they did that, but let's be honest. that's They probably just learned their lesson from the first time that they did that, and it didn't mm-hmm. work out
0: yeah, because the yeah. first time they did ship it without. Yeah, the, the first
4: time when they first made the laptop, they that's exactly what they did. Here's the first generation, basically a prototype. Let's ship it out as a final product. Oh, hmm, people don't like that.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a situation where we all want them to be successful because they're yes. they're in the community that is like we have we're basically a community that or anybody who is any company that is in this community and is genuinely wanting to be a part of it, we will back you. Yes, w- because we want this, we want these products to exist. Right. People so, give money to Michael for crying out loud. I, uh, <laughs> but uh, if, as long as you're upfront and honest about what you're doing, I think people are going to be completely understanding. And even even be missing your ship dates, just don't give a ship date that if you don't know for a fact it can ship at that date. Like for example, when they first announced it, they said January 2019, and then April, and then they went to quarter three. But they didn't know if any of these were, be pr- were practical or if they even could do mm-hmm. it. So if they said, hey, we think that it'd be somewhere between... when they In 2017, they should have said somewhere between 2019 and 2020. And at no point would anybody be bothered by that range because all they have to do is say, this is how much effort it's going to take. And this is how... Mu- we don't know exactly... We've never done a phone manufacturing before, so we need a, a bigger range. And if they did that, people would be happy. I would be happy. I would have like nothing really issue with about it, but it's mm. just the way they're handling the situation is what yeah. is the bothersome.
1: All right. But to finish on a, on a plus point uh, for those people that did give Michael money. At least you got a video on Firefox. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: Love it or hate it. Chromebooks have marketed their way into academics and casual users quite successfully. In fact, I was visiting my son's school this week for lunch And I had sat down with lunch with them and then toured the classrooms. And I noticed all the fifth graders and fourth graders and third graders with all of their Chromebooks throughout the entire school. Uh, In schools, they now control close to 60% of the market in the U.S. classroom. So that shows you just how powerful their marketing has become. So now Google is setting their sights, not surprisingly at all, on enterprise customers, leveraging, of course, the Linux portion of the Chromebook, which I found really interesting here in their announcement. So Google is making some updates to support the enterprise market. In the announcement posted by their VP of Chrome OS, they stated these updates include the first Chromebook enterprise devices with an improved admin co- uh, console and new developer-focused features. Together, these updates make the modern OS more accessible to every business. So a little bit of spin there, but ultimately what they're doing is they're giving security by design, they're saying, with the ability for IT admins to easily provision, monitor, and lock down devices, 24-7 year-round support for IT, um, Google Cloud apps, which they've had, and access to Dell's technologies, unified workspace solution to deploy secure manage and support virtual reality uh, or virtual devices, virtually all devices, sorry, on the cloud. So at the end of that was the interesting bit of this, because I don't think it's any surprise Google's going to go after enterprise after dominating in academics, which, by the way, used to be completely dominated at one point by Apple, then by Microsoft, now by Chrome. Um, And they say new organizations can enable managed Linux environments on Chromebooks, in beta, with tools to determine who has access, VPN support for internal files and containers for maximum protection, this solution offers enterprises an approach to development that is genuinely cloud first. So it seems both Google and Windows are now heavily leveraging their Linux compatibility layers to their customers to break into cloud computing, administration, and of course, enterprise in business. So all of these other companies taking portions of Linux, incorporating them in, marketing it really well, and we sit here with Linux and don't market it very well at all, at least in my opinion. What do you guys think of this news? I uh,
4: I, I had a, a similar experience in my kid's school. Uh, <clears throat> we I had a slightly different reaction. Sounds like you were a responsible parent. My son may or may not have said, Dad, we have these Chromebooks. We're not allowed to take them out of school. And I went, really? to so <laughs> try to get access to your Chromebook when you're not in school. Because as long as you have your Google account, we can do that from any computer that has Chrome installed. And so, yeah, we set up Chrome and signed into his Google school account and started installing, you know, various different Chrome apps and arranging his bookmarks and changing the theme and stuff. And he logs in the school the next day and all those things sync down. And, you know, he thought that was cool and his friends thought it was cool and his teacher didn't think it was cool. And so, yeah, no, <laughs> it was, it was it, it, but the, the point is, That I think first and foremost, we have to acknowledge that the next generation of people are going to be judged their work, like our generation was judged on how well we could use Microsoft Office and how well we could use, you know, navigate Internet Explorer and stuff like that. The next generation is going to be judged on how well they can do Google Docs, how well they can create presentations inside of whatever the the Impress or whatever the version of Impress that exists on Google Docs are, right? And so, uh, and, and the ODF standard obviously is taking off. And so, I think we would be foolish, quite honestly, to resist the, the, the proliferation of Chromebooks. They are based on Linux. Yes, they're tied to Google. Yes, there are some privacy concerns, but it is resetting the expectations for what people expect from a computer. And that is really beneficial to us as Linux users and as people that advocate for a Linux operating system because the more things move to the cloud, The more things move into a web browser, the less valuable Mac OS and Windows becomes because the less actual local executables there are. And once we have entered that space into where everything is working on a cloud, now we can start approaching people and say, listen, still do everything in the browser the exact same way you're doing. Instead of using Google, use Nextcloud. Instead of using Dropbox, use It's And we have... Equivalent software, I don't know why this is, but local software on Linux tends to suck compared to local software on, on Mac OS or Windows, right? The UIs aren't as fancy, the UIs aren't as, as in-depth and stuff, but when it comes to web apps man we take the cake and then some you look at cockpit it looks amazing compared to any other graphical administration tool that windows has like it's a joke um and and so i think it resets the expectations up and and they land in our favor because we have been so dominant on web for so long that all of the technologies that everybody uses whether it's proprietary open source are running on top of linux to begin with so i don't see the chromebook movement as a bad thing I just think it's something that needs to be managed. Attention needs to be brought to it. and We need to constantly be reminding people right now about the privacy implications of using any cloud service so that later we're in a position to say this is why you should continue to use a small, light-powered computer that's just connected to the Internet but just own all the stuff that's on the other side of it.
1: Okay, so I was really looking forward to this uh, section this week because I put out a plea to the community to help me. Right. So, we take feedback from our listeners seriously. We also care about the feelings of each host on this show. Yeah, right. Um, That is why the cast of this show have given me the opportunity to review this non-pixelated game. So, let's just go back over that phrase, non-pixelated game. Yes. Now, this game is called Phantom 3D, and it's coming to Linux. And there'll be a link to it in the show notes. So Phantom 3D is perhaps the most exciting and engaging game ever to grace a PC. Now you don't have to have a really powerful PC to play this. The game makers describe it thus. Phantom 3D is a first person maze game inspired by survival horror genre and early 3D games. The main goal is to find the key and escape the dungeon before the time runs out while collecting treasure items and scrolls to buy more time. Okay, so let's get back to this horror genre. Mm. That's not the type of horror that you're thinking of. <laughs> for me, the horror that comes with Phantom 3D is that they've got the temerity to charge $3.99 for this. You're saying it's non-pixelated, and you know what? You're right, because it's actually a single pixel. <laughs> it's been cut into two. One grey one black. <laughs> Listen,
2: Zeb, you gave me a mission. You said, if I, we respect you. And you got the whole community to write us emails saying, do not give Zeb pixelated games again. I met the criteria. This is a 3D game. Yes. It's in the name.
0: It's a 3D game, and it's not pixelated because the, 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 the because single pixel any- that it uses is very smooth. <laughs>
1: exactly. So the actual game itself is quite entertaining. Um, the horror side, I don't think, you know, there's a little white blotch that appears every now and again. I think they try and pretend that's a ghost. No, that's the Phantom.
0: Sure. That's the Phantom. It's going to claim oh, your soul.
2: The fan-
1: ah, you the Phantom. Yeah. Gotcha. Really?
2: It's so 3D, your monitor probably
1: can't handle it. Yeah, uh, I mean, I had it, I, had, I must admit, I did have it widescreen, like, you know, 3, 4, 47K, and I was, I, I got lost in the maze. I mean, the mazes are amazingly complex, and you. Did, it takes you hours to finish one level. But, I was previously extolling the virtues of the Nets community and they let Ryan do this to me. (laughs) Where is the love boys and girls? Get those emails coming in. Else you'll never help me get out of this rabbit hole that Ryan is sending me down. Please help me. (laughs) Don't let me have to review another game like this again. Really? You're welcome.
4: Last week, we talked about data privacy and how to use containers to do that. So this week, I thought it would be interesting to extend that just a little bit on getting data privacy while you're using a mobile device kind of fits in with the rest of the episode. So this week, we're talking about the best way to communicate from one place to another. And that is Signal. Now, Signal is a very interesting messenger that is different from Telegram. It's different than Wire. It's different than WhatsApp. It's different than Facebook secret chats, although it shares something in common with all of these, and that is the Signal protocol. Now, the Signal protocol is a very interesting piece of technology and something that is not seen uh, basically anywhere else in encrypted messaging app because here is the problem that we fundamentally run up against and this is what we is experience as Telegram users. You start a conversation and what you'll notice is no matter what device you sign into, that conversation is always available and the way that that happens is because the conversation isn't necessarily encrypted with a private key that you own, it's encrypted with a private key that's stored on the server and so the server then decrypts that message and then syncs it around to all the devices. The problem with that method is that Telegram and Telegram servers have access to your messages. So there is a second way to do that, and that is we can generate a private and public key pair. Now, the important thing to remember about encryption is this. Even if you don't understand anything else about encryption, what one key does, the other key undoes. So if I encrypt something with the public key, I can decrypt it with the private key. If I encrypt something with the private key, I can decrypt it, with the public key and that, that fundamental function of encryption allows us to do some very unique things. So the way that Signal protocol works is this. They, So well, let me back up. So the other way that you can do that is you can generate a private key and you can encrypt all of your messages and then you can manually move that private key to all of the, your devices and then have access to those messages. So that would be one way to do it, but that provides an inconvenience to the user. So Signal has come up with that in brilliant way to share a private key between devices. And it works something like this. you generate a private key on your phone and you sign everything with your private key and then send it out, other people can download your public key and that allows them to decrypt messages and know that they actually came from you. You also can go into what they call the key store and download a key bundle for any other user, which allows you to decrypt their messages that they have sent to them. So how do we get the private key securely from one device to another? Well, Signal does something like this. When a new device is gener- when a new device is created, it generates its own set of pro- private and public key pairs, right? Then, the phone that you have your original key and the only thing at the moment that can read all of your messages encrypts the private key with the public key of the new device, sends that encrypted message over to the new device. It downloads it because the new device has that file that was encrypted with its public key, can now decrypt it with the private key that has never existed on the internet. And now that new device has the private key for all of the existing messages. And so we can add uh, into the trust circle um, new devices without ever actually exposing that private key. So it's a really brilliant way to incorporate syncing and incorporate cloud access to all of your messages without actually ever succumbing or handing out your uh, your private key to any other service now it's interesting you might say to yourself self i don't actually believe that's secure will you be wrong because there is a security firm that has done a detailed an- a- analysis of the signal protocol and they have concluded that it's cryptographically sound that means t- that is to say that right now there is no way that anybody can find to break this particular protocol it's such a good protocol that a bunch of other applications to include facebook secret chats And even WhatsApp has claimed that they have reinvented a similar algorithm because they didn't want to use the exact signal algorithm and then later actually adopted the signal protocol. Um, so, so so all of these other places that are popping up and I believe Skype has a private mode now too that is also using signal protocol so they all call it something else um, but that the original design that was designed by open whisper systems is is a sound cryptographical way to transmit messages from one machine to another machine and you can rest fairly certain that the that nobody else is going to be able to read those messages unless they have physical access to that device in addition signal also does a couple of really cool things like they have disappearing messages so you can have a real time conversation over text message. The other person sees the message, they read it, and then it vanishes. And that's a fantastic way to communicate with family members or other things where you want to have a private conversation, but you don't want any log of that private conversation. And now Signal has taken one step further, and they're using that same protocol to encrypt audio and video calls. So pretty soon, we can already do it on the phone pretty soon. It will be available on the desktop app and on the web app. We'll be able to have WebRTC encrypted protocols with the exact same system I just described for doing text messages, except that it will work for any sort of media. So yeah. mm-hmm. that's my tip trick this week if you want to do secure and private communication signal is definitely the way to do it i've used them all i've used viber i've used telegram i've used whatsapp i've used skype there is nothing better than signal if you want the conversation to stay off the record and Mm -hmm. by the way don't reach out to me on signal because i won't answer you unless there there is a tiny tiny small minuscule group of people that I'm communicating with on signal. And if you're, if, if I haven't talked to you, I just, I'm not responding to anybody else on on signal because I cannot let it become the next telegram where it just becomes a public way for, for everybody to reach out to you. It's Mm -hmm. that signal is my private messenger.
1: So that, that all sounds really technically brilliant. So I go along, I download signal. Is it just a matter of one, two, three, click done.
4: Get this up. You download signal. It generates your private and public key pairs. You add a new device and you say, I want to add this device. What do I do? It says, take a picture of the QR code that's showing on your on your device. And you look at your device and there's a QR code. You hold it up and take a picture of it and boom, now that key exchange has occurred because it's encoding the public key inside of that, wait, yeah, encoding the public key inside of that QR code, which the, 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 first, compu- the first phone then uses to encrypt the private key to send to the new machine.
1: Mm-hmm. So if I then want to use that to communicate with my wife, what do I do on my wife's phone?
4: She just installs Signal. And then you – and then oh, so as far as compa- – so it will automatically take care of downloading your wife's public key from the – it's called a key bundle. And it will automatically download her key bundle from the central repository, which just contains the public key. Obviously, your private key is secure. But if you want to take it one extra step and you say – I don't even really trust that whole public key exchange thing. That's not cool. I want to do it myself. Well, you can. You go into Signal, you click on key. It will show you what the hash of the key is, and you can sit there and compare f one five seven three seven five f b one nine seven. You can compare your wife and her phone and say, okay, yep, they they absolutely match. Or you can compare that via email, or however, whatever form you want to authenticate that key. You can do it to include sitting in person and just reading it side by side, which is what my mm-hmm. wife and I did.
0: And the structure yeah. of how you – if you want to communicate with someone and you – uh it, it uses the – like your your phone directory base. Not really – you don't have to use your directory as long as you know their phone number uh, that you – when mm-hmm. you sign up for Signal, you use your phone number to create the account. And then you – as long as you have access to their number, you can use them on Signal. Right.
4: So the you're talking about – so the public key store, which contains the key bundle, is identified with the phone number. So if you – If you just want to have a conversation, like let's say you want to have a conversation with Michael, if you type in his phone number, it's going to look on the Signal server to see if there's a key bundle for Michael's phone number. If there is, it automatically downloads it to your phone.
1: Right. So here we have a company that's made something so technically brilliant, but then they thought, hang on a minute, how do we make this easy for the end user? Bingo. And they did.
0: So our tip and trick of this week is was sent by a community member, Richard, or Chet, from the uh, community. He sent and he actually sent in a video, and we're going to play that in a little bit, but first he says, Hi, gents. Uh, just a short five-minute video with two quick and fun Linux tips I stumbled upon that you and the community may enjoy. So he said that he's going to, he so like, sorry, you may need to edit this. We're going to edit it, so it's not going to be that long in the actual video. But essentially, what he said is, or, well, here's the video.
3: Hey, Ryan and Michael and... Zeb and Noah, how's everybody doing in the Destination Linux community? The tip that I want to show you today is dynamic wallpaper. I'm not talking about actual like wallpaper changer or anything like that, like Variety or something like that. So um, I'll show you Variety if you're not familiar with it. What Variety does is you're able to change wallpapers you know, it, you could set it to uh, pull, pull from different sources, different sites, that kind of thing. Or you could just set it on your own uh, folder and you could just... It'll it'll scroll through it in, in whatever duration you set it as. And, or you could just hit next on, on the wallpapers. And uh, that's not what I'm talking about today. What I wanted to show you is something called live wallpapers or dynamic wallpapers. And you can get it right here. This is KDE Plasma 5. If you go over here to um, your wallpaper section here and go to Get New Plugins. It's called either Smart Video Wallpaper, Dynamic Wallpaper, Animated Video Wallpaper. There's a couple different ones. But what it is, is you could change this from image to video. And then you could change, you know, you just put in any video. You download it from YouTube or whatever. And now you have a live or dynamic wallpaper. I thought that was pretty cool. I stumbled upon that a a little while ago. And, uh, you know, some people at work had commented on it and thought I was actually running video games because if you go here, uh, some of the wallpapers that I had were uh, were Star Citizen and, uh, you know, it looks kind of like a video game. It's animated and has, you know, some really cool uh, things. So you don't want to get in trouble at work. You don't want to be, uh, you know, running something like uh, Star Citizen at work or something like that. But, you know, there's some cool little videos that you can grab online and have a live or dynamic uh Video backdrop or video wallpaper. That's just my quick tips. Uh, Hopefully uh, you enjoy them and uh, get some use and and fun out of using Linux. Um, I really enjoy the show. I've been a long time listener and uh, probably been running Linux now for about 20 years. Um, So really hope you enjoy this video and uh, thanks a lot and uh, have a great day.
1: Well, that sounds really good. So this wallpaper I can have like a little video going on. So Ryan, I can have Phantom 3D as my wallpaper now.
2: All of your dreams have been answered, Zeb. (laughs) This is why I gave you that game. You thought I was being mean to you, but now we have community tip that has taken the game to a whole new level. Because it's so graphically not intensive, you literally probably could
0: turn it into a wallpaper. So there's that.
1: I'm gonna do it while we're chatting. You carry on, guys. I'm away.
0: Exactly. Well, this is really cool. If you like to have, like, a dynamic wallpaper is a really cool idea, and especially with a video thing, and there's like being able to just go into your plasma settings and then changing it is really interesting. I think there's other DEs that have the ability to do it. I don't know off the top of my head which ones do, uh, but if you are a plasma user, then you can check out the smart video wallpaper plugin and other stuff to get this to work. And uh, I think you can also do it on your login screen, not just your wallpaper. So if you want to have a video, a different video playing on your login screen, you can do that as well.
2: I loved his beautiful wallpaper. He showed off in the video Star Citizen Aquarium, a cherry tree blossom kind of dropping the, the yeah, cool. um, petals down. Just, it, it was pretty cool. So, I mean, we've all played with those type of things in the past. They kind of went away. Uh, because of battery power usually especially on your laptop you don't really want to use live wallpapers and anything it's going to take extra power but on the desktop it's kind of a perfect thing to have there running in the background especially if you have a system that you're not afraid it's going to lower any performance for or anything because it does take some tasks background task uh, processes to run a live wallpaper so make sure you have a system that can handle it a big thank you to each and every one of you for watching or listening to Destination Linux. We love our patrons and Kofi supporters. So I just want to give a special shout out, deal with it, Noah, for all of your support. We could do, we do a live show every week for our patrons, so come join us if you want to be a part of the show. You can join on Patreon for just a dollar, and that's darn near free. Also, we have new tiers that we've set up to get additional perks, which is awesome out there and remember on september 15th the big announcement everyone gets to see the amazing show we put together raw unedited noah you've talked about this before spend the most amount of money get the greatest show
4: that's not what i said but i mean that's close (laughs) (laughs) close enough We are, we are on Kofi. I have my cup of Kofi right here, and we would love it if you buy us a cup of coffee. Now, if that sounds weird and doesn't make any sense to you, we'll just ask Ryan about it. He'd be happy to help you. Uh, you get the same perks as Patreon if you buy us a cup of coffee. We broadcast various different things and talk about things, and we say exactly what we think, and you don't have to worry about us selling you a bag of shmoosal. It's If we say it, you can trust it. And the reason is because we are only beholden to you, the audience, Check that out and uh, make sure to head over to uh, destinationlinux.org where you can find all the ways to support us. At the end of the day, honestly, we don't really care how you support us. Just give us money and let us keep doing the show. <laughs> I'll be happy as a listener. Wow. Wow, Noah. Uh, nailed it.
1: Get back to us. Let us know whether or not you agree. Is it coffee or Kofi? Let us know in an email and uh, we'll set um, Noah right once and for all. So <laughs> contact us at destinationlinux.org. And and if you can't find that, you can go to comments at destinationlinux.org and send us that email. Let us know your tips and tricks. Let us know what we're doing right. Let us know what we're doing wrong. And don't forget to do it in video mode as well. Cause I'm pretty sure there are still um, a couple of packages of swag that could be coming your way. If you are one of the first 10 people to send us in a video.
0: And if you want more content, the fun doesn't stop here. We also have our own channels you can check out. So for example, you can find Ryan at youtube.com/dosgeek, where you, he where will fill your brains on hardware, software and all things Linux. You can find Zeb at YouTube.com slash boss where he'll be, you'll find him playing some games in his Zebity Gaming YouTube channel. And you might find him doing an occasional Gentoo installation or how-tos like that. And you can find my content at TuxDigital.com where I do a weekly in-depth uh, Linux GNU's podcast. Uh, the this weekend linux podcast and other linux related content including that video about firefox and you can find noah at the asknoahshow.com where he hosts a weekly talk radio show at 6 p.m. central on tuesday so you can join him and he'll answer all your Kofi pronunciation questions
4: <laughs> also we don't have any sort of weird things like good news you know we just we just, we just speak normal so right do he's what? not he's not fun and creative i
0: get it yep. yeah like that smash button <laughs> 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 and you're exactly you're right, Noah. Like that, smash button and share the show on social media. And everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination.
2: Bye bye. September fifteenth. Be there.
0: Sunday. Sunday. Sunday.
2: Nice.